Welcome in to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. We're the podcast for Vol Basketball fans everywhere. We bring you discussions, debates, and the latest news on the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I am joined by Gene Henley here for a regular episode of the podcast. We had a couple interviews last week after uh, Gene and I sat down for a regular interview, so if you haven't checked those out yet, please do. They're the head, coach, head coaches of the high school of Tennessee's two newest signees, which Gene and I will talk about here in a second, of Jonas Adu and Brandon Huntley Hatfield. So go check those out. They dropped on Wednesday and Thursday. First of all, though, I want to say a big, big thank you to all of you. Uh, I already said this on Twitter, but I don't know how many of you, you know, may have seen that already, how many of you follow us on Twitter and everything or not. Um, but we have now over 550 likes on Facebook and 500 followers on Twitter, which, again, I know doesn't sound like a whole lot, but uh, when you start from zero and the fact that we're doing a basketball-exclusive podcast in a very football-dominated market in, in Tennessee, um, it means a lot to me, and it means a lot to us here at Vol basketball fever so we're very very thankful for you guys and it's reflected also now in the listener numbers that this has gone up our the the not the last episode but the episode i did on wednesday with the uh head coach of Jonas Adu. that is already pretty easily the most listened to episode so far since we've rebooted here as vol basketball fever so thank you all so much if, if you're new here you can find us on twitter at vol hoops fever and we're on facebook at vol basketball fever and we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio as well. Well, Gene, let's dive into it here. We have a lot to cover. As I mentioned, Tennessee signed two more elite prospects last week. Join us to do Brandon Helmy Hatfield, five-star, and Helmy Hatfield to do as a four-star, a consensus top 80 prospect across the board. Borderline five-star um, on Rivals, actually. And then on Friday, you had three straight days of good news for men's basketball for Tennessee. Because on Friday, you had John Fulkerson announce that he's returning for a sixth year. Gene, you and I joked a lot about how old John Petty was. There were, always, there were jokes a few years ago. I just forgot his name about the, the Kansas player who was a super Perry old man. Yeah, Perry Ellis. Now we're all going to see and we're all going to make our own jokes about John Fulkerson being a, a 45-year-old man playing out on the court. So good news for Tennessee, though, because I think Fulkerson obviously makes you feel better about that front court and the new additions that Tennessee had to, to the 2021 class to do too. But um, really quickly before we get into those those new additions and kind of the roster um, reshaping of Tennessee, what are your thoughts uh, about Fulkerson returning, Gene? Because I think, you know, I don't know, I don't expect him to return to the form that he was in those final, you know, 10, 12 games or so of uh, the COVID-shortened season in 1920. But I think if, he's, if, he, if he can be more productive than he was last year. If he can get over, you know, the things that were very clearly bothering him last year, um, then I think that's very good news for Tennessee because you have a very reliable, very veteran four that can be, you know, a, a tutor, can be a guide to these young big men that Tennessee just signed as well. Yeah, like, I, I think that um, John Fulkerson's return to Tennessee at least for me, is far more. Um, I'm not going to judge his return on stats because, like, if you look at his most productive year was the year they had nobody else. Mm-hmm. They know he had nobody else, and you know, and if you're Rick Barnes, you just try to find your strength, and it's you know, you know, I'm playing through Fulkerson that year. 
Um, but going into this year, uh, you're going to have your you've got your point guard, you know, a kid who can create for everybody. Um, you now have, you know, an elite uh, sort of uh, stretch four. You know, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. We, you know, you've got shooters uh, in Powell and Vescovi. Um, you've got your kind of junkyard dog type guy in, uh, in Josiah Jordan James. Um, so I don't want to, um, I don't want to base Fulkerson's production on stats because you're talking about a kid who has seen it all, who's been through it all. Um, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, like he's a good player. Uh, I mean, he, he's been productive at Tennessee for, for five years now. Like there was never a year that he wasn't productive. Like obviously, you know, his start of his career was good. He kind of tilled off once Grant Williams emerged as such a great player. And then the last couple of years, I mean, like obviously 1920 was a great year. 2021, yeah, more up and down. Um Obviously, a number of reasons could be the cause of that. And so I'm looking at him this year where you're talking about a six-year senior. Um, he's he's focused. He's determined. But he doesn't have to be the focal point of your offense. So I think the, I think what makes his return so great is he can just go out there and just produce. But he doesn't have to be the guy that Tennessee had at the end of the season, um, 18 points, whatever, 10 rebounds, whatever those numbers were towards the end of that 1920 season. Um, he doesn't have to be that guy. What he has to be is a mentor to the Adu kid. Um, it, what he has to be is a is a voice in that locker room. Because let's be honest, once you get past Fulkerson, it is a lot of freshmen and sophomores. I mean, I understand that you still have uh, – have James and Vescovi, but Vescovi is not going to be like your voice. Um, maybe James is in a sense, but Fulkerson's seen a whole heck of a lot more than anybody else you could name. Euros, Plastic, whatever, you know, the walk-ons, whatever. Um, so, like, that's what I would be looking at. Like, I, I'm not going to judge him. If, if the kid averages, you know, eight points and five rebounds a game next year, I think that's a win. Um you know, if, if even if he sneaks up to ten points and six rebounds, as long as he's productive in those stats, and I think that's sometimes where you have to look a little bit further into the box score. If he averages ten points and five rebounds a game next year, ten points and six rebounds a game. If he's only if he's you know shooting like sixty percent from the floor, if he's hitting some jump shots, if he's just being productive in his time, then he's had a good year. And I think that the I personally I believe that expecting him to go out there and be first team all sec averaging 16 and 10 i think that's a little foolish but um god you just want him to be a good player on what you hope is going to be a good team with all these new pieces i think that's a really well stated point that not judging him solely on the stats for this upcoming year because i think that's a very good way of putting it he's not i, I don't if, if he's your leading scorer for the year then i think it's not a good sign for tennis if, if he's really even your top maybe three scores next year. I don't think that's a good sign for the team. Obviously, if he's going out and scoring 12, 13 points a game, it's different. But I, I think, like you said, if he's being efficient, if he's playing with a motor he's always played with, I, I, although last year was a little different, but he, he still like he was like he wasn't giving effort on the floor. But if he's playing with the motor he always plays with, if he's being efficient, like you said, if he's being productive, and he's, aside from his injuries early in his career, he's been productive in his roles when he's 
no matter what his role has been at Tennessee. I think he's going to be the emotional guy, the emotional leader for the team. He that that video, the three minute video that he put out and UT put out announcing his return, I saw you know a lot of emotions from Vol fans just saying this is the type of guy that you know it, it's nice to have the five stars. It's it, you need that. It's great to have shooters. It's great to have you know all this sort of stuff. It's great to have these kids coming from all around the country. But a guy like John Fulgerson, you know, those in-state guys, and he he bit lists off a bunch of them in his video, the, the Wayne Chisholm's, the Scott McBee's, the, uh, he, he lists off, you know, several others. And there's obviously been many, many more over the past, you know, five, six decades of UT basketball, but it, it is special. And it, it is always really, really cool to see the kid who grew up watching the team, whether it's UT, whether it's, you know, another school somewhere else, be able to come and, and not just play, you know, not just get a few minutes here and there, or be a walk on or whatever, but be a, a full scholarship player and be a full-time starter for the team like Fulgerson has been the last couple of years. So uh, you're right, though. I, th- I think judging him solely on his stats this upcoming season is doing him a disservice because I think he's going to be better than probably what his stats are, better for the team than what his stats will um, show because, like you said, he's got a, a, he's got a job to do of helping tutor and mentor uh, the young post players. And you're right. He, <laughs> he comes in the next season – easily the most experienced player on Tennessee's roster. You, obviously, you have a guy like Josiah Jordan-James who'll be a junior. This this will be his third year. He, he's, at this point, a veteran on the team. Um, Vescovi will, I mean, he'll kind of be a veteran, but he, he's a guy that, again, was a mid-year enrollee essentially his freshman year. Last year had a COVID year, so he he's a little different of a, of a junior, but he, he has experience. He's played in the SEC at least for two straight seasons, so he does have that experience there. Victor Bailey has one year at Tennessee, a couple years at Oregon, so he's been there, done that. Um, so, yeah, you have some of these, these guys that you can count on other more veteran. But, Gene, I think you appreciate this. I, I looked back at Fulkerson's time at Tennessee. Not counting walk-ons and not counting whatever the final tally will be of new players on this upcoming season's roster. He's played with, I think, 29 different teammates. That's just scholarship teammates that he's had in his 100, 100 years at Tennessee at this point. That, like I said, doesn't include walk-ons, doesn't include the at least six new additions to the roster right now, and maybe seven or eight for next year. So he's going to finish of upward of counting walk-ons of like 40-something teammates at Tennessee in his time at, at, as, as a Vol, which... That's mind-boggling to me that you can. <laughs> he's been here for. He'll be here for six years, but he has played with like forty different guys. You go back to look at his. Uh, let me put up really quick. His first year on campus at Tennessee. I'm list off some of the names that he played with that season. Well, you obviously, you have guys like Monte Turner, Bowden, Schofield, but you also had Robert Hubbs as a senior. You had Shambari Phillips, Dietrich Mostella, Lou Evans, Quay Parker. <laughs> those are those are some of his uh, his teammates his first year as of all, which that, going back and look at that, took me back for a second, Gene, because I was like, wow, I forgot that he, for one, I forgot Shambari Phillips and Quay Parker for a second, and then I, I just also forgot that Fulgerson was a freshman when those guys were on the roster, which I was just like, that kind of blew me away a little bit. Well, and then, of course, you've got, I mean, his time when he played with Ron Slay and, uh, <laughs> you know, the Ernie and Bernie show with Fulkerson, you know, it was it, it was such an amazing time. I, I, I like to see him out there with Dale Ellis. That was a good combo. Yeah, man, the Allen Houston years, man, it was, it was rough. I would, I thought he would have uh, helped Wade keep his job, but you know, and, you know, the, I, I, I still remember the Tennessee Kentucky game, and I guess it was maybe two thousand when, uh, maybe it was nineteen ninety nine when, you know, he sprinted down 
to the Kentucky bench to make sure that Tony Harris didn't get in the fight, you know, that night. It was just uh, such amazing memories, you know, passing up Brandon <laughs> Wharton for open threes, just, just so many different things that happened along the way, you know, like, you know, the alley goopy through the Duke Cruz, you know, it just so much. I mean, helping Bobby Mays, you know, start his AAU program. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, obviously it's a, we, we joke about, careers that last as long or they don't typically happen in basketball which is weird because i think most times like kids when you once you get to this point they're like let me just go play pro man let me just go play pro and it's more it's something that happens a lot more often than football because you have kids who may maybe realize that excuse me uh maybe realize that there is no future beyond that and who knows maybe that's what's happening here although i think fulkerson can make some money somewhere um, but I mean, to see a six year senior who, you know, is beloved. And I think that's the part that just can't be understated, uh, overstated. I mean, he is absolutely beloved because if you think about it, he's the last link to the feel good years. Yep. And I think that, and I think that's why sometimes, you know, how good he is, kind of gets skewed a little bit, blown up a little bit, because he is that last link. And like and and, I, and so I'll, I'll look at it as, because after this, I mean, it's going to, what's going to be interesting is after this year, because, you know, Tennessee's fan base is one that really, well, I mean, I think most colleges' fan bases are, really like to latch on to players and, watch their careers go because in their mind back in their day they remember you know the Allen Houston years or they remember you know the Vincent Yarbrough years and I'm just obviously I'm speaking on Tennessee but they remember the guys who spend four years they may not remember them fondly but they specifically remember those careers the Dell Ellis the Ernie and Bernie's like they remember all that and so now you know once you get past this year I mean, like, he's the last link. And I think that's something that's going to be really hard for them to – that people are going to have a hard time just kind of getting past because he is the last link. Like, Josiah, you know, he's a link, but he wasn't there. Now, that would, would that have been different if Grant came back? Yeah. Would that have been different if Kerry Blackshear committed to where last year – would that have been, you know, different if Lamonte – doesn't have to retire, you know. It, like if if that if that run can kind of continue for an extra year, something like along those lines, maybe Josiah is a link, you know. And I think I think Josiah I means he's going to be a what a third year sophomore now. Yeah, I guess because of COVID, that's a good point. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, technically, and I don't think it happens, but technically, he's got three more years. And you can't count Vescovi and Josiah the, quite the same because, you know, Vescovi came in midway through the year. Josiah was a part of the of the class that got here in June that people, you know, were watching first of the season. Um, Vescovi's a link, but he's not quite uh, on the same level. You know, Victor Bailey will ultimately spend, he could ultimately spend four years at Tennessee. Could. Because of the COVID year, I mean, he can... I think, does the COVID year apply to all, or is it, did, did it just apply to the seniors this year? 
No, everybody gets okay. the COVID year. I couldn't remember. It's, okay. Yeah, everybody gets the COVID year. The difference is if seniors want to go back to their school, they don't count towards the scholarship limit. Ah, gotcha. So, okay. So, yeah. So, this, I mean, so Fulkerson doesn't count towards the scholarship limit. Right. Neither I, would have, neither I, would Anisiki if he had stayed, but she didn't, right. obviously. Right. Um, neither would Eve Ponds. Yeah, it, it, but that's obviously they made different decisions. So, like, that's your, like, that's your difference there. And, um, like, it, it's, you know, so, like, it's different. I mean, like, it, it's, it's going to be different. Those other guys will be looked at differently than Fulkerson. But um, I think that's more credit to, you know, Rick developing a culture. And I think that's something that may have to be talked about is because after this year, the culture has changed. Like, the whole thing has changed, man. Like, all the all the people, you know, he built this off on the backs of four or five-year seniors. I mean, obviously, he lost Bone and Williams. But he he built this thing on the backs of four year seniors who went through it all, who went through the lean years, fifteen wins, sixteen wins, and all of a sudden it was twenty six, and all of a sudden it was thirty one, number one rank, you know, number one ranking, um, you know, game day at the Tennessee Kentucky game in Lexington, all the all of that, you know, like preseason favorite type stuff, and it's a different feel. Like this this past season was a different feel for that, but. And obviously, they didn't, I mean, they didn't, you know, reach the expectations that so many had for them, ourselves included. But, um, but yeah, like so, I, I, that's I think that's a big reason. That is, it goes back to my original point as to why I think Fulkerson's return is so huge because, like, you know, for for fan bases, it, it takes you back to a different time when you had the Christian Laters that you could hate for four years, you had the Great Hills that you that hung around. You had all those guys. There was always a Duke point guard, or there was always a Duke player, basically, that was hanging around for four years and just getting on your nerves. Uh, JJ Reddick, you know, Grace Allen didn't last the entire time, but he was very much in that mold. I mean, Steve uh, Wojciechowski, like all these different guys that you would just see. You know, like even the Fab. I mean, even three of the no, two of the Fab Five um, guys stayed four years. Chris Weber left after his sophomore year. Uh, Jalen Rose and Juwan Howard stayed three years. Um, Jimmy King and Ray Jackson stayed four. But like, I mean, so it's it's just such a different time now. Like we we make jokes about seniors, like they're still there. <laughs> they're youngest. I mean, I think he only spent four years in college. I, I think that's the funny thing about. It. I don't think there were five years, but we look at him like he was there for twenty years. I mean, he played with Danny Manning. I mean he, that he was only there for four years. You're right. That's what I'm saying <laughs> like we don't, but that's what we look at. Th- we look at things that way now. Like we make those jokes, and obviously, part obviously part of it was just how he looked too. Yeah, he, he did the look like an old Caroline man. And, and all that. <laughs> I get it. Like the jokes, the jokes kind of write themselves. I mean, I think Luke, Luke, you know, Luca Garza was going to get some of that this year, but um, but yeah, so it, it just takes a lot of people back to a different time. To where kids stayed in school, they weren't about their, you know, their brand and and look, I'm all about kids making their own decisions, man. That's why I'm perfectly okay. Somebody asked me on Twitter about the transfer portal, uh, the new one-time transfer thing, and I'm like, look, kids are gonna make mistakes. I'm not, I'm, but I'm not going to not let kids make mistakes. 
And so if a kid makes it, you know, decides to transfer because he's not happy with something and um, it doesn't work out for him, that, that's a you problem, kid. Like you got you got to have people in your ears trying to, you know, show you right from wrong. And if you make a wrong decision, you know, you if you made the wrong decision to begin with, you need to be able to figure that out. Maybe Justin Powell made a wrong decision going to, to Auburn and he's about to flourish at Tennessee. Who knows? Who knows? There's gonna be a lot of kids that don't get picked up in that in that in that portal this this year. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I can't worry about them. I have to give you the freedom to make that decision for yourself. And if it doesn't work out, I hate it for you. I do. But I need to let you fail. Even as I'm telling you, this is your best your best way to succeed. I need for you to be able to fail. I'm sorry for you. If you need anything, give me a call, man. I'll make some calls. But I can't hold on to you just simply because. No, that's a good point. Just not that, man. Six-year guy. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll move on here to talk about Tennessee's newest additions and what this roster reshaping is looking like. But one last note on Fulgerson. He comes in his upcoming season having played 132 games in his five years, all he needs, it, hopefully he stays healthy, because but all he needs is 11 games, and he will pass Wayne Chisholm for the most games played in the UT career. Chisholm has at 142. That age, at that age, you have to question health, man. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but Chisholm had 142, and then you have Cam Tatum and Josh Richardson with 138, 136, then Cal Alexander with 135, and then Bowden and Schofield at 132, tied for fifth. So uh, you have three... Rick Barnes, technically all Rick Barnes uh, players there in the top five with with Schofield and and Bowden tied for fifth. So Chisholm, Tatum, Richardson, Kyle Alexander, Bowden, and Schofield are your top five slash six in Tennessee history for career games. And you're about to have Fulgerson up there. So a lot of games played by, you know, that early, that first class or two of of Rick Barnes era. So we'd love to move on now to talk about some young heads on this team, not the old heads, uh, Gene. Got the two newest additions for Tennessee last week with Brandon Huntley Hatfield joining us to do. And Gene, you and I had talked about Huntley Hatfield. I think we've talked about him twice, maybe three times in a couple podcasts before he ended up committing and signing with, with Tennessee and talking about his skill set, talking about, you know, what kind of attitude and stuff that he may or may not have as a, you know, as a young kid at this point coming into, but he's probably 17 right now, I'd say, because he reclassified from the 22 class to 21 class. But again, first Tennessee picked up a do, then they get Huntley Hatfield, I look at it as that move to when they got to do, I, I think Huntley Hatfield was probably going to Tennessee anyway, but I think that showed to him that you have him, you have Forreston obviously decided to come back and he can play a four, he can play a five if he needs to as a six, eight, six, nine um, guy. He's, he's played the five for Tennessee before you have Kamwa and Urosh are still on the roster. Obviously Urosh height wise is a five, but, Skill set wise, might be more before, but still plays. You know, play the five. I don't think you want Cam Wall playing the five, but he's still learning the four enough as it is. So, but you have a couple of guys there now with, like I said, with Adu especially, uh, who can play a five. I think that helped uh, Hatfield feel like this is the better decision because I think you and I talked about before that he's <laughs> he's not a back to the basket guy. I talked to his head coach and he says he obviously he can do that and he's capable of playing around the room because you're when you're six nine two thirty, you should be able to play around the room. Um, but I think of more as a guy that's more comfortable kind of running the floor, 
that um, likes to use his athleticism more, doesn't want to play back to the basket, doesn't want to play a traditional, you know, a traditional four role. He plays more of a, a four, sometimes kind of a three type of role. And I think that's going to work out better. And I think that's ultimately why I think this signing class, well, yes, you don't, you don't want to have to rely on, you know, likely three, maybe four freshmen to really come in and, and be, you know, I don't, I don't know if Meshack's going to have a huge impact, but he's probably still going to play anywhere between five to 10 minutes and, and or five to eight minutes in a game. I do, I think needs to, you know, develop some more, but he's still going to play. He's, he's not going to be, um, you know, stashed away on the bench. I don't think he's not going to be like a, a Corey Walker situation. And then obviously Kennedy Chandler and Huntley Hatfield are going to play and, and play a lot, at least in, in Chandler's um, situation. But I, I am curious, you know, Eugene had mentioned, um, you know, I wouldn't say reservations necessarily, but you had given, I think, an honest uh, interpretation, an honest thoughts and opinions on Huntley Hatfield and, and his whether or not he would actually fit at Tennessee with the style of play he has and kind of how Rick Barnes likes to use his front court. I'm curious if you're that has changed if your mind's kind of changed any with with Tennessee's additions with Adu and with Fulkerson returning and you know I mean Justin Powell's not a, a front court guy but you know with him coming in as a transfer too. I'm kind of curious in your thoughts if, if they've changed a little bit. And also, for anyone who hasn't had a chance to listen yet, the interview I did with Huntley Hatfield's head coach at, at Scotland campus, uh, Coach Cheney, he, I, I thought he'd give a, a, a good interview. One of the first things he talked about was when Huntley Hatfield came to Scotland from IMG, that he kind of had this this idea of, you know, I'm ready to be the man. I, I kind of want to go out and, and be the, the main guy here. And, and Coach Cheney said, you know, you can do that. But you don't, you know, you don't just do that by going and scoring a bunch of points. You, you go that, go there being a good teammate. You go there by showing up to workouts early and leaving late. You, you, you do all these things, the intangibles. And he said that he was actually was very impressed by the way Homie Hatfield's kind of attitude, personality changed throughout this. He's not not that he, you know, was super selfish and this is all me, all me kind of thing when he first got there. But he said he was impressed with the way his personality and attitude did change, and he became a very good team player. And his one year at Scotland, so we'll we'll see if that trans you know translates to Tennessee. But I do think Gene that does kind of address a little bit of the the things you had said before in the past about Huntley Hatfield and his style and kind of you know would he fit at Tennessee. So I, I say all that to get to your point of or get to you again to say you know what are your thoughts on the two new additions and kind of this signing class in general. That's now the number two overall class in the twenty one cycle and tops in the SEC and the SEC <laughs> in men's basketball right now is recruiting like football does they have I think uh and on rivals at least like three of the top six classes in the in the country obviously basketball is a little different you don't have a a big 25 man signing class like in football so it's not all created equally because um, you do have some teams that only get one or two you know additions but they're like both top 50 prospects so they're not they're not going to finish in the top five but they're obviously by quality wise very very good but still it's intriguing to see the SEC, interesting to see the SEC recruiting at a, such a high level across the board, essentially. So anyway, your thoughts, Gene, because I've kind of rambled in and given mine here. Yeah. Um, I think the Huntley Hatfield signing will be as good as the style of play Tennessee plays. Um, if they, if Tennessee just, inserts him into Eve Pond's role. Because uh, he didn't do a lot of posting up. But he did some. Um, if they just insert him into Eve's role, you'll be fine. Um, 
if they just let him just go play, they'll be fine. Because now, if you're Tennessee, you have the sort of style in place that wins, um, that wins games. Because you have what you think is a dynamic point guard in Kennedy Chandler. And I only say what you think because I haven't seen him play in a college game. And I try to be, I, I try to be cautious in, ex, you know, forming expectations for kids going into their, because they had, they have nice YouTube highlights or huddle tape or whatever the case may be. Um, so you have what you think is a dynamic point guard uh, in Chandler. You have what you think is a sort of dominating force, and I'm pretty sure the first time that we brought up Huntley Hatfield, I compared him to Julius Randle. Um, yeah, I think you did, and then I—I I mean, I, I actually actually just coached about that because I think Jerry Meyer did the same thing, compared him to Julius Randle and or and also uh, Nas Reed who played LSU for a season. Right, and and I think that's the type of player that he is. I think he's powerful. I think he wants to fight his way to the basket a lot. I think he's a pretty good shooter uh, now. I mean, I've seen him hit some shots um, that he, I've seen. I've seen him shoot, you know, make shots from deep, and that could be. That's where Tennessee really, you know, that's where they really, you know, are, are great in development of players uh, is developing an outside game for players. Look at what they did with Grant Williams in terms of just getting his ability to hit like the mid-range jump shot. Kyle Alexander, uh, same thing. Admiral Schofield, so on and so forth. All those all those guys became adequate to above-average shooters um, in their time uh, in Knoxville. So I think you have Huntley Hatfield, you have Chandler, uh, you have a pretty dynamic duo there. Two guys who you think can be pretty good offensively for you. You had those last year, but they were kind of one and the same player. They were slightly different, but you know, yeah, like you know, Springer and Johnson were a little similar in their size and stuff. But then we get to a do. It is a do, right? I don't want to be. I don't want to be saying this kid's name wrong. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure in the the official announcement when, when he signed Tennessee put out the pronunciation. I'm pretty sure I read it correctly. That's pronounced like "adu," like the word okay. like "adu." Yeah. Well, I just know because there was a kid from Hamilton Heights a few years ago who actually I think plays at Mississippi State now. I think just graduated. I think he's out in the market right now. To be honest with you, um, his name was Ad- Abdul Ado. So I, yeah, I'm, he plays for uh, Mississippi State. Or yeah, played for yeah. Mississippi State. Yeah. He was he was Hamilton Heights first. Uh, High level prospect first, um, and he's he's the one who jump started what Hamilton Heights has become. That uh, they spent a number of years trying to build there, um, but you get a do in there, and I, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, personally, I think he's a good player. Let, let's be clear, but. The things I read about the kid kind of concern me in Knoxville because I read the words raw, needs development, and I'm like, what are we trying to develop? Because I, what I, the few highlights I saw, the kid would likes to grab a rebound and start a fast break. 
Um, the, the kid has shown that he can hit a couple shots from deep. Um, but it takes me back to the same thing I've said. There's not much in a back-to-the-basket game. And I wouldn't care if Tennessee did not employ a back-to-the-basket game. It wouldn't matter to me under any other circumstance. You get an athletic, talented big, um, you just go out there and just let him, you know, play in the dunker spot, catch lobs, do all the fun stuff, play defense, block shots, and I think this kid is going to be capable of doing that. And it was maybe, you know, maybe having Chandler in there, um, you don't necessarily have to have that because you, you hope that Chandler's quick enough to kind of get to the basket on his own and you don't have to post him up, you know, post up your bigs a lot. But, like, I, I just, yeah, I just, I went back, I just, while you were talking, I went back and looked at some old uh, uh, Olivier Kamwa clips. And what I saw was a raw player who needed development. Two years later, he still needs development. Still. Some potential there. You see things. Um, a dude may be doing it at a higher level, but you see some of the same raw skills that just need some, you know, just some nurturing and some developing. And that'll always be my concern. Because um, kids don't really want to play with their backs to the basket anymore. Not if you're 6'9", six, 6'10", six, because you look look at the next level. Those guys are out there shooting threes. <laughs> like, I mean, Giannis... Kevin mm-hmm. Durant. I mean, I just watched Bam Adebayo just hit a game winner earlier today. Like these, that's that's what these kids are all, you know, aspiring to be. They're not out here trying to be Patrick Ewing or Matumbo or whatever. Like they're not. De- I mean, Matumbo's son shoots threes. I've seen him in AAU tournaments. I shot. I, shot, I saw him shooting like twenty foot fadeaways. And so, like, it's just the game has changed. And so these kids are coming up through the ranks, and that's what they're working on. They're not working on back to the basket, make two moves, you know, all that stuff, you know, you know, lean back and feel where the defender's at and spin off of them. Like, Grant Williams had that move, you know, down pat. The spin move, lay up, but he had always been a post player. He didn't have to develop what he already had. He had to be cracked. He was 6'6". Like those are things that he had to learn early on. He had to grind to survive, basically. Um, these these kids that they're getting now don't. And so that'll be my big question with him. And hopefully, um, having a focus in there can maybe help in some capacity with that. But. Man, I, I just I just will continue to have concerns until I see the sort of development in one of these kids who grew up playing a different type of basketball than the one that's being implemented here. Like all the other guys, like Huntley Hatfield, if you let him play, won't have a problem. Will not have a problem. Because the only way he's posting up is if he's got a mismatch. Kind of like what they did with Keon Johnson. The only way that Huntley Hatfield's post up is if he's got a mismatch. But these other kids, you're asking them to. Maybe COVID was an issue. Maybe that's why, you know, Kamwa didn't develop at the, at the rate that you kind of hoped people do. And I don't know. Maybe he goes up there and he looks great this year. And that gives you hope for, and I can sit down 
and we can do this podcast eight, you know, eight months from now. And I'm like, look at Kamala. Look at him. Back to the basket. He's out there putting moves like like a little like a skinny Charles Barkley out there. Yeah, I mean, like, who knows? I don't know. But, you know, like usually, you know, we talked a few weeks ago when I was completely wrong. I'm, I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong um, about the, the Georgetown kid that committed to Maryland. I said that kid was going to be on the market for a while. But then I realized he committed to Maryland was Maryland, a Big Ten school. What does the Big Ten do more than any other league? Post up. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, OK, I get that. Uh, so if you're if you're a Big Ten school, you got to get those guys because I don't know if Hunter Dickerson's going back. Dickinson's going back to Michigan, who also has the number one class in the country. Um, you know, I'm looking at Florida State. You know, they constantly have bigs. You know, like I'm looking at all these these places that have bigs, and sometimes they have big developers. I mean, heck, people forget like Juwan Howard was a tactician in the paint. So if he wants his guys to have like two or three moves, you don't have to go to your assistant coaches to, you know, to teach that. I'm going straight to the head coach and say, coach, give me like two or three moves down there. So and that's always my concern. It's like, I don't think Tennessee has that. I don't. But yet they're still playing that that style. And I don't want to say it's antiquated. I don't I don't want to I don't want to say that for a while because I do think that if uh, if Michigan I think that if the kid livers didn't get injured from Michigan, I mean, heck, without him, they went to the Elite Eight. Um, I think they had a good chance to win a championship, and they would have done it with a big man. So it's not an antiquated style, but you, you've got to have a bunch of pieces in place to where those guys can just have a very easy job. And if that job is just, hey, a dude, go out there, defend switches, block a shot, Grab a few rebounds, throw those skinny elbows around, and let's let's hit this fat. Get the ball to you know, get the ball to KC, and let's hit this fast break. Or get the ball to Josiah. Let's get this fast break going. Come on, let's throw an alley oop to, to Huntley Hatfield. You know, Thompson Bowling. You know, TBA is going crazy. Twenty five thousand. We're live, man. We're live in here. Twenty thousand. I'm sorry. Heck, the wait. Heck, after after COVID, they may get to twenty five thousand somehow next year. Um, but yeah, like if that's what you're asking to do, okay, okay. And if his, if the post players' roles in that offense is to def, you know to defend you know switches, you know to grab rebounds, to dive for loose balls, to basically do what you know John Fulkerson did for his first two plus years. Well, I mean for his second and third year, because uh, he's you know he's been there for five. Um, if that's the type of role you want a dude to play this year. Okay, I get it. Let's go to work. Let's play. Play through my, you know, play through my five-star point guard. You know, let my five-star power forward grab a rebound, and start a fast break. Let's hit these wings, Vescovi. You know, get out wild. Let's hit some threes, and let's play. Victor Bailey, you're gonna get you're gonna get more open shots this year than you've ever had. And that's and I think you know. So we'll see what happens with it. Um, the signing itself, I think, is a great one. Now that you got them, because that's always the easy part. You say it's hard. The easier, the easier part is getting some of these kids in the system. You've been successful recently, so it's not going to be hard to get those kids in your system. You're about to send two. You're about to send one kid into the lottery, 
and hopefully a second kid to become a first-round draft pick. Uh, Johnson's a lottery pick. Springer, yeah, yeah. probably late first round, whatever. Um, that's two first-round picks. And if you get those kids to their second contracts, that looks even better for you. Um, so you're going to get that. So the pathway for you to get players is right there in front of you. You know, whether, you know, two of the three, you know, three of the four guys that got picked up by NBA teams, what, two years ago, um, three years ago, already, what, more or less out of the league. You know, Grant Williams is bouncing around a little bit, you know, getting about 15 minutes or so a game. But Schofield bouncing back and forth. Jordan Bone, I believe, bouncing back and forth. Kyle Alexander, like, in all three of those cases, you're talking about kids, guys who aren't just, like, stuck up there. But not, not a lot of people do the research on that. So if you are a high school kid, if I'm if I'm Tennessee, I'm selling. Yeah, we had four guys off that team playing the NBA, and then this past season, yeah, we had two guys. In the, you know, we had two first round picks, and you can just sell that. So you're going to get players, man. You're going to get players. Kentucky will always get players. It's a bad year. They coming off a what a nine win season. They got the number six class in the country. Right now, right now, now Gonzaga's about to jump a lot of people tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I think it's tomorrow when they get the home green kid. Yeah, uh, they're going to jump a lot of people tomorrow. But if Gonzaga's seven, like all the programs that are up here, they're winners. Like the worst program over the past few years in the top ten, the top nine, is Tennessee. I don't mean that as a disrespect to them. Michigan, its recruiting rankings, Florida State, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Gonzaga, Michigan State, Baylor. And you're up there with them. So you're going to get guys. Now what do you do with them? Because if you get some of these guys and they don't, and things don't work out well for them, you're not just going to keep getting guys. Because you're, you're not, you don't build a system like Kentucky where they're just going to bring in seven guys every year. You're trying to bring in two or three, and you can't have. You've got to have a great success right now. So a dude's going to kind of be the person that I'm looking at that really defines that success rate. Because Huntley Hatfield's too good to fail, in my opinion. Kennedy Chandler's too good to fail, in my opinion. In both of those cases, you're going to be judged on the Olivier Comlins. You're going to be judged on the on the Jonas Adus. You're going to be judged on the the Mayshack kid. That's going to define how good this class is because you expect those other two kids to probably probably be gone um, this time next year so what do you do with those other ones because like I said that's going to determine just how good this truly is in my opinion yeah and and staying on that subject by the way Jordan Bowen had kind of bounced around between the G League and the NBA but he hasn't played in the NBA since February and the G League season I think just ended like a month ago I want to say so I don't know what he's doing right now. Uh, he might be on the roster for Orlando, but I, I don't actually know where where he is. He hasn't, like I said, his last game log in the NBA was back in February, so I'm not sure. But he he bounced around with the G League and the Magic earlier this year. Um, but yeah, to to go to keep talking about this roster and to kind of finish up our points here on the mid side, and we'll briefly touch on a couple of Lady Balls notes um, at the end of the podcast here. This we we talked about multiple times. I think even. The last episode we did together last week, Gene, we talked about how all these roster departures and stuff are a good thing, and Tennessee needs to 
facelift this roster. Well, let's kind of, you know, I, I hate to use the, the term grading it, but, you know, let's, I guess, grade kind of the roster changes as or, you know, kind of the, the way that Tennessee's reconstructed their roster right now, because look at how it is right now. Jade Springer has gone. Keon Johnson, gone. Ephon's gone. Uh, let's see, EJ Nisicki, Devontae Gaines, Drew Pember, Core Walker Jr., all gone. So those are all the guys that are, you know, scholarship guys who are no longer on the on the roster. Then you're bringing in Justin Powell as a transfer. You have signed uh, freshman Kenny Chandler, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, Jonas Adu, Jemai Meshack, and Quentin Debonje. So that's again six new guys coming in. You have a spot for I think two more at this point. Um, you know, we, there's a there's we we talked before we hit record here, Gene. That looks like Andre Tamba out of Knoxville Catholic is. There's a good chance he's reclassifying, and also will be uh, the kind of I guess next slash last 21 basketball recruit that Tennessee gets, seven footer um, at Knoxville Catholic, who I think this past season, if the Max Preps website is correct, which it's kind of a hit or miss, but it's more or less usually somewhat correct. Uh, 10.3 points, seven rebounds, and two and a half blocks a game for him this past year. It doesn't give his minutes per game on there, uh, but he's a guy who is reclassifying if he does reclassify from what I've heard because he has really good grades and stuff and they just handled, handled his business in the classroom um, very well. But then you also, that's the case. If, if Tamba does, you know, come to Tennessee, if he does reclassify, that leaves you one spot. Do you save that for next recruiting cycle? Do you go ahead and try to get another transfer in? But that's that hasn't happened yet. So we're just talking about what has happened with Tennessee with the five signees and Justin Powell coming in, replacing who they lost. Gene, how would you assess this current roster reface? Because I think the way the roster looks right now compared to this past season's roster with, with Fulkerson returning right now with still Victor Bailey, Vescovi, Josiah Jordan-James, um, Kamwa, and Roche all coming back from last season's roster as well. I think it's a better overall roster. I think you have a, a roster that is more fit to have success in, in modern day basketball with the, the shooter you're bringing in with Powell with, I think Kenny Chandler can create his own shot and also get shots open to other guys as well. I think we'll see if Victor Bailey uh, can bounce back and have a more efficient year. I think Vescovi is going to be you know in a much better role as an off ball. He'll still handle the ball. I think some, but he's going to, I think be more off the ball. And I think that's going to be a lot better for him. And then again, I, I think you mentioned Brandon Huntley Hatfield is just a very talented kid who's very talented with the ball in his hands. I th- I think this is a better overall team, but it's also you're a little hesitant when you're bringing in six new guys and you're still probably going to bring in at least a seventh, if not also an eighth, to come along with this team. And I I think again, I think they're done with people transferring off the roster, but there's still an outside chance you have someone else you know leave here between now and you know the summer. But Gene, I, I I would say this is a solid, what B B plus maybe. I, I'm gonna say B. I'm gonna be a little, I guess, on the on the downside on that one. I'm, I'm gonna say a very solid B for me so far with what they've done. And I'll be very curious to see if they address. You know, do they bring in a more experienced five? Like as, as you said, I do. I think I think he has a lot of talent. I just don't know that he should be counted on to be a significant. You know, a guy playing 20, 25 minutes a game next year for Tennessee. If they can go out into the transfer portal and find a a, a, a five that can be a starter or, or play, you know, a, a decent bulk of minutes to help out with Fulkerson, to help out just with the depth overall, because I don't think Urosh is going to 
I think it, I think he took a step forward into the end of the season there, but I still don't think you want to rely on him to be more than a role player. I think that that's kind of the move, but I also could understand them going and getting another shooter because you can never have too many shooters, in my opinion, especially look at this past year with what Baylor did, with what Alabama did, Arkansas, um, you know, Auburn has historically done with Bruce Pearl the last few years. So I, I would give it a very solid B at this point in terms of what they've done to retool the roster. And I, I do think comparing it to last year's roster, which is how the pieces fit on this, this upcoming season, I think it's a better team on paper at least, than what last year's team was. Yeah, um, so I, I was typing the roster out for next season. Um, from what it, from what I gather, they've got five freshmen, four sophomores, one junior, one senior. Um, that sounds right. Fulkerson's a senior, Bailey's a junior, um, Jordan James, Jordan James, Conway, Vescovi, and Plastic are sophomores. And then Chandler, Huntley, Hatfield, Meshack, Powell, and Adu are freshmen. So, um, so I, yeah, I was just trying to basically look at what they've done with the uh, with the roster. And so they lose uh, Johnson, they lose Springer, they lose Anasiki, uh, they lose the. Uh, Gaines and they lose Pember then they lose somebody else too Ponds so um, like just looking at that I think the roster itself has not made much of a I think it's about the same like I think the roster itself is about the same, but they they got more talented, but they also got younger. And, I, I, and again, I'm just and I'm looking at it like they lose Johnson and Springer; those are freshmen, uh, but those were contributors. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose Pons; he's a junior or he's a senior, but he's a contributor. Um, so you lose three contributors and three guys who didn't contribute. And you hope that Powell, Chandler, Huntley, Hatfield will be the replacements there. Huntley, Hatfield is an upgrade from Ponds. Um, you know, Powell is not the same player as Springer, but he's shown that he could be effective and he brings a completely different dynamic in the fact that I think he's a better shooter. Um, Chandler Johnson, they're both explosive in different ways, but you put the ball in their hands and you may ooh and off once or twice a year. But then you throw in a do, maybe he can do some stuff. Meshack, who knows if he can do some stuff. Um, and maybe an inspired Fulkerson. You know, Bailey's had some production. So I, I look at for what, you know, you made the comment about the, the modern game. And I do think that they improved in that aspect. They're not going to be quite as slow. They're a little bit more versatile offensively because 
you know, as talented of an athlete as Pons was, he was never the type of person where he's going to put the ball on the court, on the on the deck and do anything for you. He just wasn't. He wasn't the type of kid who would just grab a rebound and start a fast break. I do think that there's going to be an an elite dynamic that is added to their offense. And all the people who hate what's-his-face's offense uh, may have to take a step back next year. And I don't know. I, I just – the way – who knows? Maybe this is me just putting my own uh, – my own thoughts into this personally, like how I like the game to be played, but I love nothing more than seeing a Huntley Hatfield type grab a rebound and start a fast break. I love nothing more than that because that's just an entire dynamic. Because if you have to find the point guard, sometimes that slows you down. And if you're trying to play fast, but you have to find the point guard first because the guy who grabs the rebound can't dribble it, that just completely slows you up, man. Plus, that's a pass that could get intercepted. Yep. Yeah, it's just it's just little things. And it's like little just nerdy basketball things that I like to see that I try to implement, you know, myself when I'm doing stuff. So, um, you know, like, you know, Fulkerson's not that guy. But it's okay. Because, heck, Fulkerson could throw the ball to Huntley Hatfield and start a fast break. Why not? If he's what you think he is, why not? Got Chandler. Grab a rebound, start a fast break. Josiah, same thing. Because, I, I mean, I saw Josiah grab a rebound and start a fast break a lot last year. So that thing is, that's there. Like, the question was, you didn't have guys you could just kind of get out there and just catch and shoot wide open threes. Because Johnson's greatest, you know, Johnson's, his, his greatest talent was mid-range shooting and athleticism. Um, Springer was a respectable shooter but you don't you didn't fear him I think with the moves they've made um, hopefully they can find another shooter somewhere I don't know where maybe hopefully that you know if they're going to find another shooter um, I would suggest he's probably in the mold in terms of size of a pal because bringing in six ones look man bringing in six two shooters isn't great no. If you're gonna bring in a six seven guy who can just flat out shoot it, you're cooking with grease. So I think that's where like I, I do think that they've right now I would say it's a wash. I do I think they improved in some certain spots, but they also got younger. And I base that mainly off of the whole trade of um pawns for Huntley Hatfield. They got more talented but, you know, I mean, Pons had over 100 career games. And yeah. regardless of how you felt about how he played in those 100 games, there's no substitute for experience. And obviously, it's not like he was like some – it's not like he was just plodding up and down the court. The, the dude, like, what – I know he led the SEC in blocks once. I mean, he had to have been at least up there this past year. He had a game with, like, nine blocks. So, I mean, you, you lose – you lose the experience and just things that maybe he had a chance to see over his final two years because his first two years, I'm not really judging those because he was just basically, hey, go guard the other team's point guard and do your best. Um, and please don't shoot the ball. So a little different, a um, little different there. And we'll, we'll see where things go as far as like where their offense, how their offense kind of, you know, 
grows and develops um, next season. But I think that's something that people should be excited about because I do think now you've got a roster in place that could be probably even more excited because there's really nothing more exciting than a 6'8", 6'9", kid who can just jump out of a gym and catch a lob. I mean, he's you literally just brought, <laughs> you brought in an athletic John Fulkerson. And I don't mean that as a disrespect <laughs> on Fulkerson. I mean, Fulkerson's six nine two fifteen. Like you, you brought in a supremely athletic John Fulkerson, and again, a guy who you think can do some more stuff. And if that works out, you could have something special. I think you're probably a little too young to really figure some things out in terms of like your you know championship chances and we're it's way too early to talk that stuff but um i think right now as we talk on on april 18th that you have a team in place that has a chance to be competitive because they've got a lot of quality pieces in place the more good players you have the better your chances are ask baylor about that yeah absolutely and i'll be very curious to see how they what they do with these last two scholarship spots again? Do they save one of those for the twenty-two cycle, or, you know, or save it for you know, I guess transfers next year? I, I think next year, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would save it for next year, but I also don't know what you know how big Tennessee's board is for that twenty-two class. But I also think you know you're going to have more to part. Obviously, Fulkerson can't come back for his seventh season. I don't think uh, so. He, he'll be gone. He doesn't count against your. Yeah, he doesn't. Count, I don't. I don't think he counts. He doesn't count against the, the scholarship for this upcoming season. But he's not going to get back. You know, I would assume Josiah Jordan James will probably return for a fourth season, or unless he transfers. I don't think he will. Um, and then I imagine Kennedy Chandler and Brandon Helton Hatfield are one and dones. That would be pretty surprised if both those guys are one and dones. Also, so what? You know, what does Viscovi do? What does Victor? I think Victor Bailey. What's he do? You know, I, I I'll be curious to see how many spots they have come off the roster next year too um but i i would be more in favor of trying to get both those spots filled if you can if tom was one of them then what do you do to address the you know with a transfer what, what do you go after a shooter do you again i i would go more after a shooter i think i agree with you do you know that front but also could understand going after the right type of front court guy to help bolster the experience there in the front court because you have a good front court i think it just isn't Ferguson is easily the most experienced and you have guys like Camo and and Plashik who's been at Tennessee for a couple of years but I mean really how much have they played they, they haven't played a whole lot of minutes and a whole lot of especially in the last two seasons neither one of them played a ton down a stretch in February and March um so it's not like they've played a bunch of crunch time minutes either so they have experience but it was what you know it was what Ferguson had when he was being relied on to be the starter in 1920 I mean he'd been here for three years but how much had he really played in those three years he was a role guy off the bench and he'd played his biggest role was his third year where he played 12 minutes a game off the bench so it's the same thing with with Cam Law and with the rush I mean they've, they've essentially played 10 or less minutes per game in their first two years so I, I could definitely if you get the right if you think you have the right post player coming off you know in the transfer portal I can understand going after him too but I'd be very curious to see what they do with those spots. That that could obviously change my grade, but I, you know, I think you're you're right on there, Gene, with your assessment too. I, I think I think personally this is a more suited roster. The, the 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 pieces I think fit together a little bit better. But like you said, they've basically gotten younger at the same time, and that's not always a good thing either. 
But we'll see. It's, it's also, again, as we talked about, this isn't like Tennessee's doing this in a vacuum. Look at the recruiting classes in the SEC. Look at who the other teams like Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky have been bringing in as transfers um, in the market as well. So the SEC next year is going to be, a, a, I think, a very competitive league. And I think overall should be better than what it was this past year. Um, and they already were they're decent this year. We talked about it. They were very top-heavy this year with the two, you know, Arkansas and Alabama, very clearly being the best by the end of things. And then Tennessee, Florida, Missouri. Uh, I forget who the other team was. I think did I say Florida? I think I said Florida. But those teams kind of, you know, not doing a whole lot late, late down the stretch and then into postseason play. Uh, really quickly here, just I do just want to touch on a couple of Lady Vols things. We don't have a whole lot of time really to break it down, but I think next episode, Gene, you and I can do it. Uh, have maybe a little bit more in-depth discussion about these things, but I do want to mention and give praise to Renia Davis for going number nine overall in the WNBA draft, going to the Minnesota Lynx. She went a little lower than I thought she was going to go, Gene, if you want to comment on that too, but I I really thought she was going to be a top six draft pick probably. You know, I I thought she was going to be in that five, six, seven range, somewhere around there. I, I was pretty surprised when she kind of made it past there and was still kind of there when it when it came to the links. But once they got there, I was like, surely Minnesota's not going to pass on her. They didn't. So she's now to Minnesota. And then uh, Kelly Harper made a, a huge hire, in my opinion, in getting Samantha Williams as an assistant coach over the weekend. I think that was on Saturday, I want to say. Um, but she, Samantha Williams, I, I think is a, a phenomenal hire as someone who was a sitting head coach at Eastern Kentucky, it was looked like she was in the process of really turning that program around. When she took over, they were like two and twenty something the year before she took over. Got them to eleven wins her first year, which they're still losing record, but that's that's a pretty significant turnaround. And then they were like nine and fifteen with I think like I want to say eight wins in conference this year, which is their most wins in conference in like five years, I think at that point at Eastern Kentucky. But then before that. She had coached at Louisville as an assistant under Jeff Waltz for like, I think nine, maybe ten seasons there, and she also coached as an assistant at Duke. I think for four seasons, five seasons before that, and helped bring in a number one recruiting class at Duke and a number one recruiting class at Louisville and several top five recruiting classes there. She's going to be the assistant and recruiting coordinator uh, for the Lady Vols. So, those are just a couple of a quick news and notes. If you want to comment on anything on that, Gene, before we close out here, but I think that's that's kind of the big news for the Lady Vols uh, over the past few days. Yeah, yeah. Real quick on the day on Renata Davis. Um, obviously, I had two seasons to to cover her. Um, really good for her. Um, you know, usually, you know, what happened to her. I'm, I'm taking a look at the the draft selection and you know what happens what has happened for years in the men's game has kind of trickled over to the women's game where the internationals kind of get you um uh yeah they, they you know the, a kid you know goes number two a girl another girl from australia goes eight to the chicago sky um but um yeah i mean you look around and you know sometimes you know now the WNBA is starting to recruit on potential i think as well in some cases and uh you know but um but obviously, you know, she, you know, she had an, a, a great career, Tennessee, that may not have always been as appreciated because she went through the lean years, you know, the end of Holly Warlick. She she hung around um, when other when so many others transferred out when Kelly Harper was, you know, got the job. So, um, you know, really good for her. And I think it's a good spot for her as well. As far as uh, 
as far as bringing in Samantha Williams, I mean, you bring in somebody that has that sort of um, cachet as a recruiter, then that's special. That's good. And I think now, um, I think now you, you have an opportunity to get in the homes of some people and, and just, you know, Tennessee's going to, you know, it's going to recruit itself. And if you can just uh, get the right types of players into your program, then now all of a sudden you've got something. And I think this is a step in that direction. We'll see what they do with their final spot. Um, you know, you get the one piece that, that helps you hit the ground running. And then now you can find another player who can, uh, another person in place that can just be a good assistant and definitely somebody that, uh, definitely somebody who who shares your vision for the program, and it, as long as you've got that and, and, and everybody pulling in the same direction, you'll have a chance to be pretty good. So uh, Williams is certainly a, a step in that direction. Uh, had a chance to see Eastern Kentucky play this past year, um, and they, you know, not a lot of talent there, and you know, not a lot of money there, which is why I think you you, you see somebody like Williams make that decision. Uh, Maybe the next job she takes uh, have a little more money, a little more cachet attached to it. So you get there, you know, you're, you're successful at Tennessee for a couple of years. Hopefully that'll open some more doors for her as well. So uh, certainly a good addition for uh, the Lady Ball program. Yeah, we can talk more in depth again with that in a future episode. But I at least wanted to get to that in, in, you know, to close out this podcast here since it's been weeks since we talked. And there's several... Uh, news and notes from Layballs. I think Harper still has one more assistant coaching position to fill on her her staff there. Because I think just like with Rick Barnes, she had two coaches uh, leave for other jobs this off season. So it's been a very busy, uh, it, not nearly as busy for the Lady Vols, but it's been a very busy off season for UT basketball um, in general with men's and women's side both. So we'll cover that uh, next episode. We do, but I guess this will be how we close this episode out. And I, I just again want to thank all of you who listen along at home, at the gym, at, at work, driving to work, driving somewhere, wh- wherever you may be, whatever you're doing. Thank you all so much. We're very, very appreciative of it. If you have anything you want to ask us for the next episode, a, a, a topic you'd like us to discuss, please let us know at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter or Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. You can leave a message there, tweet at us. Either way, uh, whatever you want to do, let us know your thoughts on the show. Let us know if there's a topic you want us to discuss, a question you have, a, a comment you have about something we said on the show. Please let us know. Again, we're on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, and on iHeartRadio as well. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. <laughs>